Good afternoon. My name is Keith, and I'll be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategy Series about the latest developments in politics and policy in D.C. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will be available on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. For any questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Thanks, uh, and thanks to everyone for joining us today. My name is Blake Rutherford, um, and this is our, well, what is a weekly call, but as Mark uh, might might allude to, could be a daily call about the, uh, the happenings uh, in politics and policy in Washington. Uh, I'm joined, of course, by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Howard, Mark, great to be with you. Mike, good to be here. Thanks, Blake. Well, uh, um, I wish that not much had happened since our last call, but quite a lot has happened since our last call. Things that are, I think, not only uh, dynamic, um, but affecting to um, a, a business audience and to uh, the country, and some might argue the world, and I thought we might talk about some of the big events uh, of the last week. But I think the biggest event is, and and really, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of crib from the New York Times reporting here, uh, which is that there really seems to be, what are we, 16, 17 days in, um, true dysfunctionality. Um, inside the West Wing that is not maybe affecting policy, may may not be affecting policy, may be affecting Hill relationships, uh, certainly is affecting the news media's relationship with this administration, um, and 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 what that means from an engagement perspective. Because on our last call, uh, and you guys have published about this, the the takeaway. Uh, was engage, 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 but we seem to have uh, a, a White House, and more specifically a West Wing, that's making that perhaps a bit more convoluted. And I want to unpack how you deal with that and what this administration can do, um, both from a Republican perspective, but also what the Democrats um, are going to do to to, to figure all of this out, because it really seems like that there, there is um, cause for concern. And I don't mean that from a partisan perspective. The president himself, according uh, to public reporting, has, has convened his senior staff multiple times to try and figure out how to do this, including uh, adopting a 10-point a uh, process from his chief of staff about how they're going to function uh, moving forward. Both of you have seen administrations in their very early days. And on our last call, uh, you both talked about, hey, look, it's, it's, it's never linear. Um, you know, I go back to, I hearken back to, to popular culture and an, and an old West Wing episode where you've got people who had been in government for a long time, still couldn't figure out a meeting room in, in, in the West Wing, so they just had a meeting in the hallway. Um, and and as and as funny as that was, probably seems appropriate. Um, there there there's testimony out of every administration going back as far as as I think the modern era, people who literally can't figure out how to turn on the lights 
Um, it, it, it is that disarming. Um, but I want to talk about what that really means um, and how much, how much credibility to give weight to it, what it means from a strategic perspective, um, and then what to do about it. So, Mark, I want to start with you. What are your observations uh, coming out of this West Wing? Well, I'll begin, Blake, by observing that you are relying on the failing fake news New York <laughs> Times for your facts. So I'll do the same, but there are those in this country who uh, would disagree with uh, that being the paper of record. I think that there are a couple of different things going on. This is multidimensional. I think one thing that is going on that has not got a lot of reporting is that the White House is empty. There are so many positions that are necessary for the functioning of the West Wing that haven't even been appointed, let alone confirmed. I'm talking about Senate confirmable positions. And the, the West Wing is being dramatically understaffed. It's very hard to uh, overestimate the handicap that that is in simply trying to function. We have obviously seen the president behaving in uh, erratic and I believe irresponsible ways. We can come back to that. But simply in terms of getting its act together, uh, I think they're shorthanded and, and that is a real issue. I spoke with somebody in the White House yesterday uh, about a particular situation, and the answer was, well, there's nobody here to do that yet. Uh, I think I think they got to start focusing on filling the jobs that that they need to do. And that is something that in the Obama administration, uh, they got off to a far faster start than this. But frankly, the government never got fully filled. It's really hard to dig out of that hole. Howard, from from your perspective, I mean, you have you have been, you know, what I like to call on the ground floor of day one for a number of administrations. What before we get to what to do about it? Um, what are what are you? What's your perspective? I know when we talked last week, you know, you. you your sentiment was certainly this is there are commonalities to every administration in terms of getting off to rocky starts. We can talk about the rocky start from Obama to Bush to Clinton. Um, but what is your sense? Or, or is this a, are, are we looking at commonalities or are there are there distinctions that are unique uh, to this administration that that may be perpetuating what is the perception, and certainly disagree with the perception, uh, that, that, they're, that they're struggling right now. Well, clearly, the guy in charge is unique. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's like Trump is very different, very, very different than, than Bush, Obama, or Clinton, just to focus on the most recent cast of, of uh, presidents. Right. You, could, uh, you could roll to 41 other presidents, by the way. I guess the same so. Same true. Um, yeah, he's different. Um, but the fundamental issues, I think, are very similar. And I think the fundamental issue is, as we've seen with other administrations, the absence of it's – bringing, it's bringing people in who the president is comfortable with personally as opposed to people 
who know how the West Wing is supposed to operate, who understand what it means to vet policies within the government, who understand that out of that vetting process come better policies that are more defensible, that you're better set up to, um, to effectuate. So I think, and, and I think we, you know, we've seen it in many administrations, and I think six months from now, maybe three months from now, there will come a point in time where the president's inner circle looks very different than it looks today. I mean, that's, that's, that's certainly, you know, we are, we are again hearing, you know, that there is, um, I'll characterize it as concern on the part of the president about the, about the functionality of, of his inner circle, um, whether it's the, the process by which the, the ban came together, whether it's the president's, um, or at least the, the intimation that he, he wasn't fully briefed on Steve Bannon joining the National Security Council, uh, to even, you know, the, the concern that Politico, if you, if you pull up Politico right now, you will see their lead story is the parody of Sean Spicer by Melissa McCarthy on Saturday Night Live actually had an effect. Uh, on the president and the West Wing, whether it should or not, we could we could debate, but it did. Um, Mark, it it just seems like that they that they're they just it feels like there's a lot of rattling going on well, in those I walls, think, even though there aren't that many people yeah. there. And Howard, I'm going to ask you whether what you said about the inner circle in six months looking different is a prediction or a prescription. It is a good prescription. That would be good medicine for this White House. But I'll go first. I don't predict that it will. I think that a lot of the chaos is willful. I think that, once again, I was wrong in predicting something early on about the Trump administration. I thought that the chief of staff that Priebus would actually organize the administration and that Bannon would be left in a room to write speeches, that plainly is upside down. Steve Bannon, as far as we can tell, according to Saturday Night Live also, is running the country. And I think this chaos is just fine by him. It, this, this is only going to improve. If the president himself, if Donald Trump decides to intervene and to dictate a different style of governing, and I think if right now you asked him how he's doing, he'd tell you it's going okay, because yep. he has declared everybody his enemy, except apparently Breitbart. And he, he isn't going to change unless he sees this as, as a problem. Mark, that, Howard, was the longest, you... that was the longest question in the history of the world. Um, well, I wanted I think... to kind of coach you on the answer. <laughs> oh, so okay, I'm, I'm well, hoping you took notes on that. I did not take notes. but uh, and, and by the way, nor prediction do I agree. Prediction or prescription? It's a prediction yeah, because because... What's going to happen here is we're going to get out of this initial, call it, you know, 30, 60, 90, 100-day period, put whatever number on it you want, and 
this president is going to start to need other people in Washington to do things in order to get things done. They are going to start to balk. He is going to get feedback that he needs a more profe- that he needs to professionalize uh, the, the West Wing, and he's going to make changes. He doesn't want to fail. And how- go ahead. Yeah, Howard, I, I, I want to because we're starting already to see some of that. I mean, I mean the the Senate Majority Leader um, has been well, McConnell pushed him on over the weekend. Yeah. Right, he pushed him over the weekend, and I wanted to get your reaction to that because, it, you know, when you're in this short period, that's something you would certainly we certainly saw from McConnell in the early days of President Obama, um, but but he's beginning to to exercise his own power and authority. Um, you know, he sort of he he was pretty forceful in in reminding the president that. The only person who decides whether to invoke the nuclear option or not is him uh, when it comes to a Supreme Court justice. But now he's pushing back on policy. And I want to dr- I want to drill down on on some specifics in a minute, Howard. But I, I wanted to get your your reaction out and what you think that that means in this in these early days. I mean, look, Mitch McConnell and the rest of the United States Congress know that they have power. They know that they have some of the keys to the kingdom and they intend to they intend to use it. Not only do they have power, they have a job to do. And part of their job is to protect the party and win re-election and position themselves. But but fundamentally, they're here as a check and balance and and to make the laws. And they take that seriously. And we've seen it when the Congress is of the same party as the president when it's of a different party than the president. They take very seriously the prerogative of the legislative branch, and there's no way they're backing away from that, and that's fundamentally what it's about. So, Howard, what do you do? I mean, Mark, M- Mark's prescription that um, that that the the inner circle um, probably needs to needs to look different six months from now. From your perspective, what does what does President Trump do? I mean, I mean, it, it, if the it, and again, disagree with the premise of the question. If if the if the premise is that there is a problem that merits a solution, uh, what's the solution here uh, to what's going on in the West Wing? Well, I think it's one primarily of. Um, process as opposed to policy. Now, look, there's room to um, disagree with policy all day long, and we can and should where you have disagreements of policy. But you can't fail on execution. It's kind of like going back to my TARP days where we had this terrible thing we had to do. We had to bail out the banks. And um, Hank Paulson basically gathered the senior team in a room and said, look, I'll take the arrows on the policy. People will be debating the policy from now until the end of time. They can and should. It's a terrible thing we have to do. Go get the job done and don't blank it up. Um, 
right now this administration, like, look, he, he, he's the president of the United States. He has the mantle to drive policy decisions that he feels are in the best interest of this country, overseen by the legislative branch and the courts. Uh, but they are failing. Where they are coming up short is on execution. It's on rollout. It's on um, process. It's on vetting. It's kind of the basic blocking and tackling of governing, which frankly is to be expected because Trump isn't somebody who's ever governed before. So I, I really, I think that's where they're coming up short. And I think that's where they will come to the realization that they need a fix. It's probably some sort of, I think, bringing in an experienced um, White House Chief of Staff. I like Reince. Um, he's obviously done a good job and in some respects, and he's well-liked, but he doesn't know how to run the White House. Um, Bannon is obviously um, looking for as much power as he can have, but they need to they need to professionalize. This isn't running the RNC. This is communicating out to the American people. It's running a process where you make sure that the agencies that need to see and poke holes in your policies before you roll them out actually have a chance to do that. It's things like a functioning NSC process, National Security Council process, where different stakeholders have a chance to weigh in, gather information, come together, weigh in on policies. That's the basic blocking and tackling of, of government. And Trump needs to get some people in the White House that have been there before. But you are presuming in all of that, with which I agree, that of course is what the White House needs. It's what the country needs. But you're presuming that Donald Trump is going to preside over that change. As we said a minute ago, there are just a few people even there. They got to get some more people in. But moving out the chief of staff, um, I think, is not something he is likely to do anytime soon. I think it's just fine with Steve Bannon that Reince Priebus is the chief of staff because Bannon keeps rolling him. And I don't think Bannon's going to tell Trump to get rid of him. I think that what is going to be required is something that is, I just think, unlikely. The president is going to have to decide to govern. He's going to have to decide to actually manage the government. He's going to have to decide to actually read executive orders. Mark, I think, you're taking, I think you're taking the head fake. I think you're taking the Twitter head fake. He knows what's going on. He doesn't want um, mass protests. Maybe Steve Bannon does, but um, I don't believe he does. He doesn't He's picking a fight with the New York Times, not because, I mean, he knows that actually drives eyeballs to the New York Times. I think, I, I really think you're taking the head fake and you're assuming that he doesn't want things done differently because he's kind of presenting as this defiant persona on Twitter. I think that's, 
I think that's a mistake well, to, to I, assume that. I don't follow the president on Twitter. I should because I know that you have a a rapid response Twitter account, and I'm going to start following you, which I guess means I'm going to have to read what you're responding to. But I, I'm just talking about the man's entire life, his entire history of of personality, and and we shall see. I I think it is going to be far harder for him to come to all of those realizations and conclusions that you're suggesting. But but I do think that Congress, coming back to something you said a moment ago, I do think when he realizes that he can't get anything done without Congress, and when he realizes that Congress has a mind and a history and a uh, policy, a purpose of its own, I think he is going to start engaging with McConnell and with Ryan and, and other leaders, even Schumer. And I think he's going to try to make deals. The one thing about his personality that I think may serve him well here is that if he chooses to engage with Congress, I think that, that there's a chance that they could still get something done. So because with that in mind, yeah, I mean, Howard, I'm going to give you give you a chance to respond, but I I do yeah. want to I do want to sort of in the, the thought of advancing, you know, the the president's agenda. I mean, we we have sort of been I think for for certainly the last week encapsulated by the ramifications of this ban, not only from a from an optics perspective. You alluded, Howard, to that you didn't think the president, you know, wanted wanted mass protests. Um, there have been two in Philadelphia in a week. Uh, one when the president was here, one when the vice president uh, was here right outside our, our windows. Um, and uh, they're continuing across the country and across the world. And we're seeing, and because the president made a point of this, I think it's appropriate for this call, uh, public polling that, that shows the country um, having a more unfavorable view of the ban than a favorable view. Um, and the president had something to say about that on Twitter, which I know you you responded to Howard. Um, but but we there is an agenda here. Um, there is a campaign agenda, um, and there is a Republican agenda, which leads me, of course, to the Affordable Care Act. Um, but there is an agenda here that is going to require some synergy between the White House and Congress, as you as you both have have spoken about. I want to start with, though, the, 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 the ramifications at this point to the extent you see any uh, of where we are with the executive order and, and the ban. We saw attorneys general uh, in, in, a bit of a, in a bit of a flip. Uh, AGs were, were very uh, active. Republican AGs were very active during uh, the Obama administration. Democratic AGs have stepped up here, uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota, um, were, were the first to engage on this ban, and, and a federal judge has, has blocked it, which, of course, prompted a response from Trump. And if anybody's looking for what to follow on Twitter, follow what, at what the Trump, um, and you can figure out what it means. But I do want to get your reactions to that in terms, of, in terms of, of what it means, just because it's driving headlines. Uh, what, Mark, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that what it means, Blake, is that the president has 
given the Democrats a gift. I think that the Democrats were in the wilderness, wandering, lost, not knowing what to do about what was happening. And then, boom, this order hit. And all of a sudden, there were people protesting in the streets, at the airports, in front of congressional home offices. And that really, to me, is the key. That, that's my prescription and prediction about what is happening here. Republican congressmen, representatives, senators alike, are already finding when they go to their home office that there are people waiting for them and that the people have something very uh, strong to say about this uh, immigration order and health care and beyond. This is exactly what happened with the Tea Party. The Tea Party, no one knew there was such a thing as a Tea Party. It was inchoate. It was out there waiting to be brought to life. And President Obama, with the Affordable Care Act, did exactly that. Town hall after town hall, there were angry Tea Party people, Democrats and Republicans were hearing all about it. That, that is, in fact, what is happening. I believe it will continue to happen. And I believe that this order is bad for the country, but good for the opposition. Howard, what are your thoughts? You know, it's again, I go back to the the way it was the way it was executed, the way the policy was formulated, the way it was rolled out. I think it could have all been done in a much more um, sensible way, and it's less about the the policy than it is about about the process and the messaging. Um, and and that's I think they've fallen short. They've clearly fallen short. I think they know they've fallen short, and Trump is fighting it because he staked his kind of claim to this out of the gate, but he he knows they could have done it better. You know, I'm I'm reminded, Mark, back to because you you have linked this historically to the Affordable Care Act, and I think there 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 are there, there's no similarity, obviously, on the policy side, but on the process side, I think there 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 are some similarities. I'm reminded of you know the advice, which ultimately was ignored, of then Chief of Staff right. Rahm Emanuel, our friend, who's now the mayor of Chicago. Who, to, who advised the president, don't go all in on this. It will, if it if it doesn't cause your defeat four years from now, it will define uh, your presidency. Let's go get half. Let's right. go get sixty percent of what we want. And the president, um, you know, rejected that advice and said, "Look, I'm here to do big yeah. things, and I have a sixty seat majority, and we're gonna figure out how to get this done." It defined yeah. his presidency. Well, and, um, and we can argue lost his sixty seat. <laughs> well, right, exactly. Before he even got it right. done. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, that I think is some of what is happening out there. At the same time, you have, of course, the Constitution so far, at least, actually beginning to kick in, notwithstanding the Twitter tweets, whatever I didn't read that Howard replied to, you have a judge hearing a lawsuit, issuing an right. order. 
the order is being complied with by the United States government, is on appeal today, there is a hearing. The checks and balances have not been repealed. The Affordable Care Act hasn't been repealed either. (laughs) Nothing has been repealed. Congress is beginning to speak up a little bit. You and Howard talked about Mitch McConnell. I think I, I have another prediction, not so much prescription. I think this Russia thing, Blake and Howard, is really going to be a wedge between the White House and Congress. I don't think the president can keep going on TV and declaring a moral equivalence between Vladimir Putin and the United States of America, I guess, is who's on the other side of that. And the investigation by the Foreign Relations Committee into the hacking continues at its professional pace. Uh, I really think if if I if he could change one thing that he's dug in on, uh, boy, I think he should get out of that hole. He just keeps digging that hole deeper, and I think that's going to be a real problem for him with Congress. Let's let's just, before we get to that because I, I I definitely think that's 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 driving driving conversation we saw the vice president over the weekend yeah. alluding to in terms of the moral equivalence really I think struggling with with that question on on face the nation um, but Howard in, in terms of of, of defining and, and I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt with breaking news Betsy DeVos has been confirmed by by the Senate the vice president did have to break the tie yeah. Um, which is the first for a cabinet pick ever, so a little history uh, made today by this administration, whether they intended to uh, or not. But she's she's been confirmed. Your friend uh, Mark Bob Casey is was a you know vocal opponent of this, and and really really I think took a leadership role um, in in expressing sort of the the policy right. prerogative of the Democrats. I wanted to to acknowledge that because we're going to talk about really what the Democrats ought to do. But coming back, Howard, to 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 sort of defining moments. I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, you 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 talked about process, but but the policy, you know, will matter to people. It is certainly galvanizing opposition support across the country. How defining do you think this is, and 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 is this is this ban something that that you feel like the White House needs or should try and try and change the conversation? It's it's clearly having an impact, and you know what? I think it's a it's something that should be debated from a policy point of view, and that's a healthy that's a very healthy thing, whether you agree or disagree with with the quote unquote ban. Um, policy should be debated. Mark, as you said, they're following, at least today, following the Constitution abiding by what the courts have handed down. As long as we stay in that state of affairs, this is fine. If we get out of that, if this becomes, if this elevates to the level of a constitutional crisis where you have the administration ignoring the judiciary, then this is a whole different discussion. Um, And I, on a personal level, I'm not a fan of the ban, but, and I think, again, it was poorly executed, but I don't think that 
Um, and I, I do think that it is potentially a defining moment, albeit an early defining moment. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's unhealthy what's going on now on any level. And, you know, I want to say one other thing, which is, you know, Mark, you said you don't follow his tweets. You read you read the headlines about the tweets, but go – and he says a lot of things that are – um, yeah, I'm going to focus on the, the Schwarzenegger tweets. I, I'm very interested in the apprentice ratings. Yeah, and so is he, which is obviously why he's <laughs> right, tweeting that. Right. I mean, that's a sideshow. And, and there right. are many things about this that are amateurish, out of the gate here. I, that's that true in any administration. I, agree I, can't, I can't tell you how many things Rahm Emanuel did. Um, when we were in the middle of a crisis, that were complete amateur hour, complete amateur hour coming into the White House for the Obama administration. Very, very dangerous stuff. Far more consequential. So I think, I, th I just think, look at what he says. Don't just read the headlines. I think if you're going to talk about it, you got you to do a couple things. Number one, look at what he's saying directly and number two don't forget how don't forget how wrong we all were about the election washington dc where i'm sitting today in philadelphia and new york and san francisco and la that's not the country there's lots in between and there are lots of people that have different views about this and look at it from a very different perspective so fine, there are protests in Philadelphia. Are there protests in Des Moines? Maybe some. But I think we're making a big mistake, and I'm speaking as much to myself as I am to you guys. I think we, the collective, we are making a big mistake if all we think about is whether there are protests in Philadelphia and, you know, whether... whether well, I mean, we, I think the distinction is that... The, the president and the vice president were, were in Philadelphia, which galvanized the protests. If they went to Des Moines, I think we'd, we'd understand whether whether middle America is, is in that position. They really haven't yet, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But I want to turn but I think to you. But I think we'd find out that the answer is no. And obviously the answer is no. We were all wrong about the election. We all underestimated the level of support for something different. These guys are clearly something different. There's reason to be concerned. Well, look, I look. I think they are creating their own crises to, to some extent. And if they don't get that right and something really bad comes along, we're screwed. But right now, it's very early, and I think they are learning the early lessons of what is going wrong here. And I guess I'm just more optimistic than you guys are that they can get, get their act together like other administrations have and and straighten it out. Let's 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 be careful about lumping the moderator into into you guys here. I don't think that's that's where more we're more optimistic go. than I am. Yeah. I, this I'm is you and Mark. I'm just trying to happy, ask some questions here. I'm um, happy to own that. I, I wanna I wanna talk about the Affordable Care Act. Um because we we this has been a Republican issue, Mark, for, well, since it was passed, um, as you talked about. Uh, it was a campaign issue for for this president. Um, and all signs point to 
repeal and replace not happening anytime soon. Um, what are your hey, What are your general thoughts about the future of the Affordable Care Act in terms of, you know, business managing, you know, their 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 own systems? Um, we do a ton of healthcare work. Right. We do a ton of healthcare work. There is uncertainty um, in light of in, in light of what what the Republicans and the president promised during the campaign, but the process is proving to be more complicated. The process is proving to be a process. That's what is surprising to a lot of people, myself included, but that is a good thing. It is a good thing that it is proving to be a process. On a political level, the fact that the ACA didn't get repealed in an executive order day one, which of course it can't constitutionally be anyway, and that Congress didn't reconcile it away yet and doesn't appear to be on a fast track. As a political matter, I think what's interesting is that the Republicans, I don't think, are going to pay a price for that. I think what's going on is fascinating, frankly, as a political science matter. It was six years of the ACA is destroying the country, and on day one it's going to go, and now we find out that that isn't happening and that all the people who were promised that that would happen and who supported that happening are not mad that it hasn't happened, are not taken to the streets to demonstrate for repeal because so many of them are benefited by it and because it is so complicated to repeal and replace and I think what we are seeing there is actually a very deliberate and very responsible process that has been liberated from the rhetoric. The president wow. himself, the president himself said it's going to take a year, maybe two. And I had some meetings when the Republican leadership, when the legislators were in Philadelphia, some meetings with clients in the business with. Republican senators, Republican congressmen, and they're taking it very, very seriously. And they know that they got to take their time and they got to get this right. And I think just as the executive order was done all wrong and is, I believe, unconstitutional and was a gift to the Democrats, the ACA is the opposite of all of that. It is being done right. It is probably going to get fixed rather than even replaced. And I think uh, an issue that the Democrats were counting on being incendiary has, has calmed way down. Howard, what are wow. your thoughts about the, the status? You said, wow, twice. So definitely want to get your reaction. Howard was surprised to, that I was to, faithful to the facts. So yeah. I'm not running the failing fake news. news yeah, I mean, the, the, the Affordable Care Act, obviously essential to uh, and, and I mean that in terms of what, what happens to the Affordable Care Act, essential to a lot of our clients and certainly to, um, you know, millions of millions of people. Howard, what, what are your thoughts about rhetoric versus process here? Well, I think there's the kind of backroom policy uh, formulation that's going on, including uh, one of our former colleagues um, here working on, on that inside the White House. Um, uh, so yeah, there's a deliberate policy process going on. I just, I'm surprised, Mark, that you, 
don't think that this is a, an issue that the Democrats can take advantage of politically because the fact of the matter is, I mean, I guess we're we're playing opposites on this one. I just think years and years and years of of promises by the by the Republicans and I think they're going to get shellacked by the Democrats next year um, when it comes to their not having followed through. Even if by then they've put a replacement out there, um, the closer we get to 2018, I can't believe I'm even talking about 2018, but I'm talking about 2018. The closer we get, I think the more likely it is that the Ds are going to hammer the Rs for having made all these promises that they haven't kept, even if it's on timeliness. Well, I, I think that's right. I think as a campaign matter, it'll likely come up. It's a little hard to hammer somebody for promising to do something that you really don't want them to do. So some strategist is going to have to think that one through. But but I do think the more interesting political dynamic is on the Republican side, where somehow after six years of promises and zero clue about how to implement anything uh, in its place, they just don't seem to be getting hammered by their own people. And I, I think that is because whether you're for it or against it, whether it needs to be fixed or, or thrown out, there are a lot of people whose lives are enmeshed now in the health care exchanges and the Medicaid expansion, and a lot of them voted Republican. So yeah, this, this, kind this of, one's complicated. It's, it is complicated. I mean, it's, it's really what is supposed to happen here. Rhetorically, right. it's not where the Republicans have been headed, but they're, this is repair, not replace. They're going to try to, they're going to try to um, uh, show that it's replaced, but it, we, we all know this is repair. A law was enacted. It's going to be amended. It's going to continue to be amended. The system's going to continue to be refined over time, and that's the way this is going to play out. That's the way this is supposed to play out. I just think it has more political implications than it seems like it does today. The well, it, I, I think it may sooner rather than later also. The Ted Cruz and others are already banging the drum for getting this done now. So this this could get a little hotter within the Republican caucus uh, before any action is taken. But But again... <laughs> Looking ahead from uh, January 19th at what was going to happen on January 20th, this thing was peed up to be repealed, gone. No more Affordable Care Act. And it has boomeranged 180 degrees. Yeah. Speaking of, of, you know, politically charged issues to kind of round out what we're seeing from, from you know, the agenda setting perspective is – is immigration does not appear to be going away. It, it certainly may, in fact, even in the in, in within at least a segment of Congress, uh, be picking up steam. Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas has um, filed one in what appears to be a series of bills that would, uh, if passed and seem would seem 
to have the at least the support of the White House, whether they can get through Congress is, a, is another matter entirely, that would dramatically reshape um, uh, America's immigration policy, making it far more difficult uh, to immigrate to the United States, dramatically reducing the number of uh, green cards that are issued, um, so on and so forth. Um, and again, sort of consistent, I think, with 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 what we're what we heard from the president during the campaign, but now now coming to reality in the Congress. And Cotton, his uh, Senator Cotton, is not not shy of camera, so he um, and and uh, I don't think will hesitate to articulate his position on this in an effort to try and advance both the president's agenda, which he's aligned with, and his personal agenda as well. Um, Mark, what are your what are your thoughts about uh, about immigration as a political matter going forward beyond the ban? Well, what's important about what you were just saying about Senator Cotton, your uh, fellow Arkansan, <laughs> if that's how you say it, um, what's important is that he is proposing legislation. He is talking about the constitutional process of Congress regulating immigration and a legislative process to debate and and act on that. And I think that will be a red-hot debate. That is not going to calm down at all. I think the president, should he go the cotton route, is going to find out that uh, it's hard to get that done. I don't know that he has 218 Republican votes for that. He certainly is going to have to overcome a filibuster, which no matter which way the Supreme Court nominee goes and the nuclear option there is going to remain for legislation. So uh, stay tuned. That uh, That is... I don't think Tom Cotton's doing Donald Trump any favors pushing this thing. Howard, what do you think? I think he's absolutely doing him favors pushing the thing because this is about optics. I think you're right, Mark, that proposing legislation and passing legislation are two very different things, but this is about optics. Legislation gets dropped every day. We're often in the position of getting it dropped um, every day to try to um, deliver a message deliver a policy message, deliver a perspective, even though you know you're not going to get past what has been proposed in the form you've proposed it. So it's on the agenda. It's one of many things on the agenda. Again, I think we're in the very early days. Things like this are, are being put out there, but there are real priorities like tax reform, infrastructure finance, Obamacare, and other things that this administration wants to get done and that in the sausage making of Washington are going to come out very differently or being dropped altogether because they're just not, the votes aren't there and, and the political capital isn't there to see them get done. So it's interesting to talk about. It makes for a good headline, but it's not, it's not really in the conversation as far as something that's going to get done. Right. But one of the casualties of the clumsy, is that a neutral word, start of the Trump administration is that they are nowhere on a legislative agenda. Nothing has begun. And they really only have 10 months 
11 months to get some stuff done. Once you roll into 2018, you're in the midterm elections and everything just gets more complicated. It, it will be real interesting to see if we are having the same conversation. You say we won't be, Howard. I think we might be in the fall. If, why if do we're you say they're nowhere... Why do you say they're nowhere on their legislative agenda? Well, they haven't repealed and replaced the ACA. That's now going to take two years. Where's tax reform? Being How far worked on. along? Where's the infrastructure bill? Being that, worked on. It's all being well, worked on, Mark. I mean, you know well, you're sure, in these conversations but, every day. People are working 24 how, hours. Seven days yeah, a how week close are they how close are they to uh, getting that done in the first hundred days as was predicted and promised? It's not gonna get done in the first hundred days. Right. Tax reform isn't gonna get done in the first hundred days. It has a good chance to get done this year though. And there's well, a really important conversation going on about about tax reform. And there are we know them staff that are toiling away day and night that right. can't even come to my daughter's bat mitzvah because they're too busy uh, working on corporate tax reform. Yeah, um, I, I predict, look, here's a prediction. I predict they're going to be at uh, the bat mitzvah. They're coming to okay. Sophie's bat mitzvah. I spoke the, to one of them yesterday. Well, okay. <laughs> the, All right. The, but seriously, to the more important conversation. I think that's very important. Yeah, it is important. There, Look, there's a... Um, there's work going on as we speak. It's a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day kind of thing. People are working very hard to see the tax reform gets done. And I think it is likely to get done. Infrastructure, again, a big administration lift, a big priority. I think that comes directly from Bannon. Um, they're going to push hard to get that done. They are pushing hard to get that done. Does it get done? Prob you know, probably something. Maybe not the full thing that they want to see. But, guys, we're in day 16 or whatever it is. You are way over-interpreting the first 16 days of this presidency in pronouncing that they're nowhere on their legislative agenda. And, Blake, I don't mean uh, to lump you in with that. I was going to uh, say I'm going to exercise moderator and, privilege once and, again so and declare yeah. that the you is singular, <laughs> not plural. Right? And, and uh, I half agree. Congress is, of course, working on this. One of the ironies that, that I'm, I'm realizing here is that in these 16 days, it didn't take long, of the Trump administration, I have become a great fan of states' rights and of Congress. I wasn't there 100 days ago. <laughs> that, that, that has kind of flipped on me, thanks to this guy. Well, let's, let's finish up, interestingly enough, because in what we thought might, might really dominate the national conversation is proving to be not so much, which is the president's pick for the United States Supreme Court. Um, uh, by all accounts, um, I will say it immensely qualified. Um, whether you agree with his um, his judicial interpretations or not, certainly um, educationally and professionally comes highly regarded by by both sides. Has been confirmed um, by the unanimously by the Senate previously when he ascended to the to the Court of Appeals and. 
And by all accounts, I think, um, you know, Chuck Schumer, Mark, your friend, has published an op-ed in Politico saying it's going to require 60 votes, uh, whether that turns out to be the case or not. Um, certainly seems like he's on a path to achieving 60 votes. What are your, briefly, your, your reactions to the Supreme Court? Uh, I think Schumer is right. It will require 60 votes. They are not getting rid of the filibuster for the Supreme Court appointment because he will get 60 votes. They're not going to need to. Right. He will get his 60 votes. The issue isn't him nearly so much as it is the stolen seat that he is going to fill. And I think a extreme vetting of this candidate, I think, is called for. But I think that it's going to be very hard for the Democrats to stop him. And I don't think they should blow themselves up trying. Howard, your reactions to the president's Supreme Court pick? I mean, I thought, again, like if you're focusing on the process and the way they rolled it out and the messaging, I thought it was really well done. I think it's one of Trump's better moments. Uh, so you like qualified. bringing both of them there and not telling them which one it was? Until I mean, that was minute. a little silly, but um, he's obviously qualified. And I think the fact that he apparently has taken the position um, in in his um, current capacity that um, executive power should should not go unchecked is highly appealing in the current environment we we are in in D.C. So I I think he'll get confirmed, and um, I agree that they're not going nuclear over this. And I think it was a smart pick. Well, it was. It'll be interesting to see. Well, we're we're we've reached uh, our time limit here, uh, gentlemen. I I dare ask you both what in the world happened to the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl, but we'll save that for 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 a beer and another. They, they were time. coached by the Clinton campaign. Yeah, that's <laughs> well well said. Anyway, thanks to yeah, brilliant. Um, the thanks to everybody for listening. As always, comments and and uh, critiques are. You can find us at Presidential Analysis uh, at Cozen.com. Howard, Mark, lively, spirited discussion. Appreciate your uh, analysis and look forward to uh, our call next week. So thanks to everyone for joining us, and thanks to you both. Thanks, Blake. Blake, have I mentioned that Tom Brady went to Michigan? Thanks. <laughs> and, and, and do you know who, who he played his last college game against, Howard? No. no. The Arkansas Razorbacks in the Citrus yeah. Bowl. It all comes back to Arkansas, Howard. There you go. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Who won that game? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.